0: Cutting Edge Conversations with the Quant Community.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Risk.net's Quantcast. As usual, Mauro Cesar and Nazneen Sharif here. Hi, Nazneen. Hi. Uh, What is not usual in today's Quantcast is that instead of talking to authors about the forthcoming research published in the cutting edge section of uh, Risk, uh, the format today will be more that of a debate. Here in the studio with us uh, is Mark Hanrod, who is managing partner at Mu Risk Advisory and uh, visiting professor at uh, University College London. Hi Mark, how are you today?
2: Hi, good, good afternoon, good afternoon everybody.
1: And we have Fabio Mercurio connected over the phone. Fabio is the Global Head of Quant Analytics at, at Bloomberg in New York and adjunct professor at NYU. Uh, Fabio you are now uh, the first guest to have appeared twice in our podcast. Uh, Good to have you back. How are you today?
3: Yeah, great. Uh, Glad to hear that. Looking forward to this uh, debate.
1: Excellent. Thank you both for joining us. Um, So today we are going to discuss LIBOR's fallback, um, the issues related to it and the possible solutions. uh, And we will do it from a quantitative perspective. So we are lucky to have two of the main experts in uh, rate derivatives pricing here. Um, as we know, LIBOR is due to be discontinued in 2021. At the moment, roughly $400 trillion worth of derivatives notional have one of the IBORs as reference rate. Uh, the selection process is uh, for, for a new benchmark rate has sparked uh, debates and consultations over the past year. And together with this, some disagreements have emerged. Rizn RISD- has covered has covered it extensively, and Nazneen, you authored some of the uh, coverage uh, we published on uh, benchmark rate reform.
0: Uh, yes, I have. So um, where we are at now is um, the you know U.S., U.K., and Europe have chosen overnight RFRs to replace the LIBOR family of rates. However, LIBOR is a forward term rate where the payment of a swap, for instance, is known at the beginning of the period. Um, But in order to create a smooth transition from LIBOR term rates to the new RFRs, an industry consultation led by ISDA started exploring different methodologies to calculate a fallback for LIBOR in the derivatives market. Uh, Now the, the, the issue is the consultation resulted in a majority of respondents picking a backward looking methodology as a fallback. This has, of course, raised concerns in other markets, such as loans and bonds markets, which are pushing for forward rates, as they would like to know their cash flows in advance. Um, and a backward-looking rate is likely to impact even uh, derivatives products, as the industry has relied on forward-looking LIBOR for so long. Um, so uh, the derivatives industry seems to be now settling on a backward-looking methodology as, as LIBOR fallback. back. Um, so maybe we can start with a simple question, um, Fabio. Maybe you can take this first. Um, what will the impact of this be on derivatives products?
3: Okay, um, thank you, Nazleen And um, well, the impact would be uh, major, right? So. Um, we're not talking about uh, the impact on uh, operations because that that's going to be major as well. But um, let's focus on uh, on pricing because I think the um, the purpose of this debate is actually to discuss about the quantitative implications of the um, transition. And uh, um, of course, as you said, like we are um, transitioning away from a rate that is set in advance to something that will be set in our years. Um, uh, so the first thing that we need to uh, be uh, aware of is that there would be um, uh, economic value transfers um, from all to new contracts um, if the new ESA agreements will uh, be applied, and um, and uh, especially when the labor fallback uh, kicks in. Um, not only um, will we experience changes in the MPV of um, derivative portfolios, but the impact will be um, uh, seen as well on uh, sensitivities, the hedges, and future exposures, risk metrics, and valuation adjustments. And so, um, the, uh, you can see that the impact is going to be across the board. And um, um, I can say more and uh, maybe I'll let um, uh, Mark add something uh, to this and then uh, I'd be happy to you know, expand on this point. Uh,
2: yes, certainly. So I, I certainly agree with the, the, the impact that there will be a lot of impacts on the quantitative side. Maybe I'd like to go one step uh, before, which is the operation that you mentioned. So the, the proposal by ISDA, or at least the result of the consultation, is to have the uh, fallback with uh, compounding setting in arrears. Um, One of the the elements is that, as you said, today it is setting in advance and that will be setting in arrears. And they are in the list of the uh, 400 trillion derivative that you just mentioned, Mauro, there are a lot of them, or at least uh, some of them, that take advantage of this uh, setting in advance. So when the payment is due you know the setting uh, the, the the reset the fixing because it is setting in advance if it was setting in arrears you would not know yet uh, the amount to be paid um when the the payment comes so that's uh that's probably not a purely quantitative question but it's certainly something we would have to answer or the market or the the industry has to answer before going into this uh Inarir's methodology,
1: and what would be the impact on the pricing of some of these products so you know, say um you just said it is not a purely uh, quantitative question, but uh, at the end of the day you will have to price these products and um, will they become would would the pricing become more complex
2: uh again, there are two parts there is the parts where We don't know how much is paid, so we cannot even start our job as a quant, which is to say what's the value, because we don't know what the payoff is, because that's not been clarified how much is paid on which date. Now, if we go to the case where actually it is possible, so we know the amounts uh, using the the setting in arrears, I believe the answer has to be yes to some extent, that everything is becoming more complex, because instead of having one number known on one day, we have a number that is accumulated, uh, compounded over a certain period. So we have more small numbers to add together to get the payoff. Obviously, in some cases, like a plain vanilla swap, this does not matter because it's simplified in the formulas and the user or the, the trader does not see the complexity of the operation. But in some cases, uh, the, the complexity will appear in the pricing model. You will have to take into account all those small fixing instead of one big.
0: So what sort of product specifically will be impacted the most?
2: So the, the first one I have in mind, uh, at least, uh, uh, it depends which side of the question, um, maybe first answering on the operational side, and uh, the, the answer to the question will be, one of the title of your articles recently in Risk Magazine, it will be the FRAS, the forward rate agreements, where for historical reason the payment does not take place in arrears at the end, but just after the the reset, so in at the start of the period, where for that instrument, for example, we we don't have a, a number to to put in the formulas, we don't know how much how they will work in practice. Um, And if we were to look at now the other side of the question on the pricing again taking the simplest instrument like a a cap where today the cap is reset on one day. If we do a setting in arrears compounding setting in arrears then you have multiple days where one day is fixed and at the end you have a number so it's some kind of Asian option
3: I agree, um, uh, up to some some extent. I mean, in, um, so I agree that there are some um, contracts that would be uh, easier to um, uh, migrate from. And um, so essentially I would say there are two, two, uh, two types of um, contracts, like those that entail only changes in the underlying, um, uh, say, reference rate. And uh, uh, Mark correctly referred to, um, uh, say, uh, fixed floating swaps. Um, based on LIBOR, that would be essentially converted into um, OIS swaps. So payments would be known at the end, but doesn't really matter because, okay, so the uh, payments are at the end also in, in the vanilla swaps. So there are contracts like uh, uh, FRAZ, uh, as Mark mentioned, and maybe also inner ear swaps where, um, you know, um, by um, the, the definition itself of the contract payment is in advance so essentially you need to change the nature of the contract you're not just changing the underlying rate um, so the, the main question to me there is um, um, it's not about pricing and I can expand that later it's really okay if the market really wants to um, um, and take on that that change. So if really they want to, um, they're happy to um, uh, change the time when payments are um, are made, and uh, you know because this could actually uh, change uh, some um, um, hedges that are in place. So that really, the, the the cash flow structure um, is going to change as well. Um, so that, that's one question, but it could be that okay you know for for most the players uh, I mean uh, um, having a flaw uh, where payments are in advance doesn 't really matter, so they actually they could be happy to um, to migrate to um, a one period swap like a swaplet right so that would be uh, the, the natural way of um, getting away from the current uh, structures and when it comes to pricing um, i think um uh yes, of course, I mean if you need to keep track of uh, you know daily changes that that's more complicated than keeping track of a single number, but at the same time, I think it's possible to um uh, to devise some um interesting um uh, say uh, framework where uh, you can model um, uh, these um, inner years uh backward looking rates jointly with uh forward looking ones. In a way that is very, very conservative so um and parsimonious, meaning like you don't need to like uh, add too many rates. And um uh I recently wrote like a joint paper with a with um, with a friend of mine, um, Andrei Yashchenko, and uh, we actually showed exactly that that it is possible to extend the um, the class definition of forwards to accommodate for um uh, the um, um compounding the area rates, and if you uh, accept the definition, actually the the whole theory that develops like uh, more naturally. So, in a sense, of the the uh, quantitative complexity um, is uh, is not so uh, so large, and uh, we have also uh, some possible benefit by really enlarging the modeling framework uh, to accommodate like uh, the new rates in the market. So um, um, this to say that okay, so there are changes, but mm, these changes don't necessarily mean that the world is, is becoming more complex from a modeling point of view. Of course, I mean these changes will be extremely disruptive. There will be like a lot of operational changes, uh, a lot of um, practical issues, and uh, and, uh, and issues also with valuations and. Uh, uh, migration to all the like is uh, definitions to new definitions and uh, and agreements and uh, and uh, penal impacts and uh, hedges will be different, exposure profiles will be different. So a lot of things that will uh, have an impact. But um, um, uh, when it comes to the new rate benchmarks, I think it's still possible to um, uh, to build some uh, framework that is not much more complex than than the old one, and uh, provided that we um, introduce some uh, smart assumption. Yeah, so uh, I will uh,
2: certainly agree on the first part. So you are saying that uh, some instruments we could change the definition and make them work. Like FRAs, we could uh, go back and pay them uh, in arrears, so fixing in advance payment in arrears. That's uh, certainly something uh, that could be done or even should be done. There is no reason to keep this old definition, old uh, payoff for FRAs. Uh, But in the order of things if we think that the fallback in arrears is the best then we should probably change the the term sheet of those fras now before doing the fallback and not doing the fallback and then when it's there noticing that it's too late to change the definitions but certainly i would agree that there are a certain number of instruments where we could change today the definition without disrupting the market because the definition are there for historical reason and not deep risk management reason. And then the, the second part, which is on on the modeling, uh, unfortunately, I've not uh, read all the details of the the, the paper. Uh, I have it in my mailbox somewhere, and I've started. Uh, but even if there are with a new framework, it still means that people have to spend the time to look at it, implement it. So even if at the end it is not are more complex in absolute term it is more complex in relative term because we have what exists today and we have to create a new one so we'll have more things to do and in parallel maybe not very different from uh, what we did uh, as a quant 10 years ago when we introduced the multi-curve we cannot say that the multi-curve to price swaps is very complex some multiplications some additions but they were done in a different way than before the same formulas with slight differences but still impacted uh, in an important way Uh, the operation, uh, the systems and the way uh, traders were uh, looking at the problem. So going beyond uh, our pure quant world, uh, for me this disruption is very good, it's just more job, uh, more uh, clients but uh, for the market uh, we have probably to be careful not to Uh, put too many things uh, at the same time
3: yeah so it's uh, um um, okay so i I actually agree so maybe um i don't to to make the the debate interesting maybe i should say that i disagree but (laughs) (laughs) i think i think i agree on uh, you know um and uh, i think it's right to agree because uh, you know uh, there's some objective things that okay it's hard to disagree on uh, and uh, Mark said. So the current fallback um is naturally designed for uh, say um, um say vanilla derivatives like um uh, standard um fixed floating swap, uh, where, you know, um, um the library is set in um is set in advance and paid in our years. So um and clearly in case of a fraud um uh, you cannot really Pay in advance a rate that it will be known only in arrears right so I mean there is really a fundamental conceptual issue there, so you definitely need to like a change the uh the definition of the of the payoff in the first place so that that i, I totally agree um when it comes to pricing, yes um um uh there will be um uh, impacts because okay, we are changing. Um, uh, the initial rates, but that's uh, that's the way the market is uh, is going. I mean, even even if we were lo- we are using uh, forward-looking rates, so not rates uh, set in arrears would be a difference because um, we um, are migrating from um, a risky rate, risky uh, term rate, a LIBOR that includes also um, uh, a risk premium for credit and liquidity to something that is actually um, risk-free, um, secured. So um, uh, in security case of software, then okay, maybe in case of other um, other like benchmarks, maybe maybe not. But um, uh, still, um, um, the new risk-free term rates um, are not as risky as as, uh, as uh, the old and current LIBOR. So, which means that uh, there are situations where. Um, uh, people can have problems. For example, I'm thinking of a typical uh, municipality situation in the U.S., where um, um, uh, a municipality issued some uh, uh, faulty rate note uh, linked to some uh, mini rate as agent exposure by buying some LIBOR-based swap. So if you if you um, uh, um, um, migrate away from LIBOR and replace LIBOR with uh, some uh, risk-free term rate plus a, a given spread on top of that, you will not be able to hedge your exposure in all uh, states of the world, the world, especially if there is some kind of um, a new economic crisis or new systemic crisis financial system. And then essentially uh, the uh, basis between uh, uh, risky rates and risky rates will, um, will soar, as it happened when, uh, for example, when Lima defaulted. Uh, but the contract will not be able to uh, to support that because uh, um, uh, the um uh, the spread in the you know the liable fallback uh, definition is actually uh, will be fixed. So um uh, dark habits there are also uh, using uh, um, for looking rates just because we are migrating away from, uh, from an old um, uh, interest rate b- benchmark and we're using a new one. So um, I agree with Mark, but um, what I'm saying is that, um, yeah, the problem is actually uh, deeper. It has to do with really replacing um, an old uh, with a new one.
1: We've been discussing mostly um so far. Uh, but what about the pricing of caps, floors or swaptions? Um, how can they price in a way that they don't uh, need to use for rates?
2: So we have started a little bit earlier So on, on, on those instruments. Uh, for swaption, uh, as uh, mentioned also earlier, that question of uh, forward-looking term rate or in arrears will have uh, roughly no impact. Uh, so, oh, no impact. Both of them are the same, but they have a strong impact with respect to the current uh, LIBOR. Uh, the big impact uh, will be in relation to what uh, Fabio just said on the credit riskiness of the LIBOR. So, LIBOR is the risk-free plus something, and this something is changing. Uh, so, the, uh, the underlying is different. So let's say in a simplified way, the the volatility is different. So plus there is a correlation between the two. Uh, So certainly, uh, all those instruments uh, will be maybe to some extent easier to price uh, because uh, we remove the credit side, so we remove the LIBOR, and we have only one thing, the uh, overnight or the risk-free. And uh, on the the cap side, uh, we have discussed it also earlier, this question of uh, one rate or multiple rate. Um, So in all those things, uh, by removing LIBOR, maybe we simplify uh, the modeling on, because we go back to some extent to the one curve world. Uh, If we restrict ourselves really to pure interest rate derivatives, but on the same time, I'd like, uh, and again, sorry for the debate, but I'd like to agree with Fabio <laughs> uh, on uh, the, the credit side, uh, which is it simplifies uh, the life of people looking only at interest rate derivatives, but it makes the life of people that look at probably a balance sheet of a bank or a corporate more complex uh, because you have removed the possibility uh, for the people to use a LIBOR swap as uh, something that contains some information and some edging uh, with respect to some credit risk, the idiosyncratic credit risk of the banks in general. So that would make it uh, more difficult uh, to use those instruments in an ALM framework.
3: To Mark's point, essentially there are two um, two different things that we can uh, um, uh, we can look at. One is the uh, actual pricing formula, so we mentioned caps, floor caps, floors, swaps, One is the pricing pricing formula, the other one is really um, uh, the input of the pricing formula. So um, the pricing formulas um, um, in case of swaps will be essentially the same uh, because um, um, if we need to value a spot starting. And, um um swap um it uh, doesn't really matter if you uh have payments in advance in arrears the um, uh, um the formal value is, is the same uh, provided i mean like the um you know uh some 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 technical details but so um so in in the sense the pricing formula is gonna not gonna change it's gonna be black also black for swaps for caps it's gonna be 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 different so depending on whether you want to um uh, define the 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 payoff based on uh, uh forward looking uh, forward rates or backward looking forward rates uh the formula can be slightly different but it's still going to be a black like type of formula assuming that the line is not normal so the the only caveat is that um, um uh, when you model um uh, a forward rate say um uh, especially the inner one uh, um Using a lognormal um, process, you can do that. The only caveat is that you need to be careful because the volatility uh, of the um, uh, of the process is going to, is decreasing and goes down to zero in the application period. Because, as Mark mentioned, it is like a, a, an Asian option, an Asian type uh, payoff. So, really, uh, as time goes by, the volatility of the uh, the average um, goes down to zero. So, uh, that's the only caveat, but you can still assume that there, um, there is a local distribution, so if you price a caplet, either with, uh, um, um uh, say, a LIBOR, a LIBOR or a rate set in advance or a set in our years, the formula can still be a black-like, but uh, the volatility could be slightly different. So, this uh, uh, gives me, um, um the chance to um, uh, to say the second point, which is also uh, what uh, Mark um, mentioned. So, how to um, uh, essentially calculate the implied volatility that goes into the pricing formula. So, pricing formulas don't change, but the implied volatility is going to change because there are two components. One is the risk free component, the one is really uh, the basis between, uh, say, risky rates and uh, and uh, uh, risk-free rates, so depending how you model that and uh, depending on the impact you want to model, depending on the correlation you want to model between uh, um, uh, LIBORs and uh, risk-free term rates, you may uh, have an impact on, uh, uh, say, the impact volatilities you build and then and then on the price, you know, so or caps cap and force.
0: Um So, I mean, there, there seems to be, you know, a lot of complexity in the pricing of, um, you know, simpler um, derivatives, but... Some argue that you know structure products that depend on forward rates would become enormously complex to price if they have to suddenly factor in a series of compounded rates as opposed to a single LIBOR term rate. Um, do you agree? And w- I mean, if there are issues, what are they?
3: So, um, uh, sorry for qu- quoting myself, but I mean, um, I mean, Andre and I are excited because I think we found like uh, you know an interesting uh, um, uh, development that can be helpful. And uh, so, essentially, the idea is that um uh, so we agree that you know the world is becoming more complex but at the same time we we think we found a way to uh, to manage the complexity and um uh, so um it is possible to model like uh, um, forward rates um, uh, that at the same time uh, can take care of simulating or uh, say modeling the um forward looking rates and uh, the backward looking rates Uh, In a parsimonious manner, so it is possible to uh, extend, for example, the labor market model to um, um, include uh, backward-looking rates as well, and uh, uh, by a simple extension of the rate dynamics that we uh, uh, assumed in the uh, in the classic uh, modeling framework. So, um, uh, so. In a sense, we uh, we think that okay, it is possible to accommodate like the new features at uh, a minor extra cost. Given that there is a cost to bear, and we, we agree on that, so the cost could be minor provided that you um, you uh, look at the right uh, quantities and uh, you model them uh, properly properly. And, uh, and so if you, if you uh, agree that it's possible to extend current models in that way, and uh, um, then okay, I think also the pricing of more complex instruments will not be that complex anymore because essentially you can use like the old um, the pricing framework frameworks, um, but uh, with a caveat, you just need to um, extend the uh, the rate dynamics uh, basically to assume some evolution also in the crow period, and if you do that. Um, you have um, uh, some interesting property that you uh, can get as a as a byproduct. Um, uh, namely, you can you can uh, even uh, get like um, a risk-neutral dynamics for four rates. Things that is not possible in a in a classical market model, for example. And this allows you to um, uh, to price a number of um, um, instruments in a um, simple manner. So um for example, we already know that it's possible to price, uh, um uh, futures and, uh, also, like, as a paper on that, right? So it's possible to price, uh, you say, um, or OIS-based yes futures, you know, uh, using a, a model and a formula that is very similar to the one that we are using for your dollar futures. So, um uh, it's not much more complex in that case. So when it comes to more complex derivatives, uh, it is possible to extend, um the current modeling frameworks to, um, to allow for, um, um, the model, of know, looking rates as well. And we can do that in a way that um, the price, you know, more complex instruments uh, becomes uh, doable. And for example, um, hybrid price is gonna be easier, uh, even uh multi-currency rate um, model is gonna be easier. So uh, it is not necessarily true that uh, this new world will create like a, a more complexity. Um, for the sake of it so it will create more complexity but paradoxically we're gonna have some benefit out of that
2: maybe uh, something a little bit different when, when we speak about a uh, structure product uh, we speak about something which is quite vague in the sense that we may know a couple of trades but uh, behind the scenes people can invent any type of structure product they like uh, so uh when we discuss FRA, it's very clear what it is. We have a clear description. When we discuss about structured products, there are a lot of things that we don't know what they are. So it's difficult also uh, to, s- to make general comments about those products that maybe I've never seen the term sheet and someone uh, has traded that uh, trade uh, with with one of the, gr- the big banks and they have uh, some kind of secret description of a, a strange trade. So there are a lot of things... For which it is difficult to give a a real answer on on those
3: products. Yes, to to, Mark, um, to Mark's point, and uh, um, I think um, uh, uh, so. We we didn't mention that. So the main reason why um, uh, we are migrating away from LIBOR, I think, is is uh, known by now. So essentially, um, is because okay. So LIBOR and. Um, uh is not i mean to summarize is not um uh, compliant with the IOSCO principles so um uh, so the industry came up with uh, a replacement of which essentially um is based on uh, um active quotes uh, it's very liquid and transparent and so on right so um uh, that that's that's the key point so every standard say um uh, and, uh, um instrument in the market should actually be based on that on uh, that benchmark, and also the inner year's rate have been chosen to satis- satisfy, I mean, uh, essentially the transparency uh, uh, issue and uh, the, the fact that we don't want a rate that can be manipulated. But when it comes to structured products, um, I mean, we can, uh, we can define almost anything we want, and there is no... Um, limitation. I mean, I can easily see that um, the top dealers will uh, with will structure deals with a uh, looking rates, just because maybe some buy side clients, um, you know, uh, want them. And uh, um, as long as I mean, it's like uh, is a contract between two parties, and the two parties agree that that's absolutely fine. And uh, and uh, and again, the, the challenge would be to have like a, to build a model framework where the. Um, uh, all these rates are um, are uh, modeled jointly, so that also uh, you know the uh, the hedging impact can be assessed properly. And as uh, I said before, I think uh, this is doable, so this can be done. So I'm very very positive about it. So I'm not not really scared about like the new world to come.
2: On, on maybe we have mentioned this uh, forward-looking or term rates uh, versus the compounded in arrears. So uh, what we have mentioned is that uh, certainly in the current framework or the current uh, consultation of ISDA, there was only the uh, compounded in arrears, the, the backward looking that was proposed. But what I see also in parallel is that the different working groups uh, in euro, in sterling and in dollar are all discussing, creating some of those uh, forward rate or term rates. In particular, in euro, there was the publication of the consultation uh, three weeks ago i think uh, where the majority of the, the the respondent mentioned that they'd like to have those uh, forward-looking term rates and that they are essential for the, the fallback so on my side and certainly on the euro part i'm not certain yet that what will be decided let's say in six months will be for all the currencies to go to a uh, backward-looking, compounded in arrears rate, I believe there is still some chance that uh, uh, some currencies uh, will go for the, the forward-looking if they can find enough liquidity to create those benchmarks that, as uh, Fabio said, need to satisfy some condition on IOSCO principle and to, to base it on some liquid uh, transactions.
1: Yeah, on, on this point of um, the Eurogroup consultation Uh, Seem to be uh, veering towards a forward looking measure, Uh, a forward looking rate. Um, Some people are concerned that uh, mismatching of fallbacks, of fallback methodologies, might uh, complicate matters for uh, multi currency products, Uh, like, for example, cross currency swaps. Um, Do you think that is the case? What is your take on it?
2: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, obviously, uh, today, cross currencies, they are kind of standardized everything is uh, three months IBOR versus three months IBOR but already that is you had to twist a little bit some currencies for example euro uh, the swaps are usually versus six months IBOR while the cross currency is three months IBOR so some uh, people had already to a little bit change their uh, conventions uh, to go to the, the cross currency market uh, now, if uh, we go uh, to some currencies with compounding in arrears, that's OIS. Today, you have already some currencies that have a cross-currency OIS market. Don't think it's liquid, but you can trade euro-dollar, uh, Eonia uh, versus uh, effective fed fund rate. So that does already exist today. And now, if really one currency goes only forward-looking and the other currency only back w- uh, compounded in arrears, then yeah that will be a little bit uh, trouble. But even if let's say euro was going to uh, forward looking and dollar for uh, compounded setting in arrears, you could have still the cross currency that will be both like uh, setting in arrears that would not be impossible to, to have uh, to make sure at least on one instrument that both legs like, are, are similar.
3: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, like, it's uh, uh, I mean, the bottom line is that, I mean, um, uh, this is a short blanket, right? So, uh, you can put it to one side, but then, okay, it doesn't cover, uh, maybe, you know, something else on the other side. But, um, um, so, um, the issue is not only on the, um, the cross-currency market, but even, like, in a, uh, a safe currency market. And the, the issue is already, um, present, um, uh, in the U.S. market because, um, um, the, uh, the fallback that would be chosen for cash instruments, and um, uh, so it's not going to be necessarily um, the same as that for derivatives. So, um, um, and then we, you will have like some kind of like fallback basis there, which is not you really want because, um, uh, you know, one market is used to hedge the other. So th- there are issues like that, but um, the pro- the main problem is that a forward-looking um, uh, term rate um, can be built but it's actually uh, much less um, objective than uh, these compounded set in our years. Uh That's really objective, just like, you know, you you, you record uh, the daily fixing and then you just apply a simple, let's say, average you know, compounding formula, you get the final number, right, uh, provided we have the same convention that we should. Uh, but um, uh, once you uh, want to build some um, forward-looking rate, then uh, um, uh, you you can do it, you know, using um, um, uh, swaps or futures, and there are a few proposed methodologies. And uh, and uh, um, but then uh, you know um, there is also some modeling choice you have to make, some interpolation, uh, you know, really curve construction that yeah, you need to apply. So possibly uh, there could be some room for uh, even for manipulation there. So um, uh, it's not 100% clear how to make it uh, totally uh, ISO compliant.
2: Yeah, maybe
3: on what you you just said
2: on maybe on the short blanket, um, there are two things we are trying to do. We are trying to do the fallback, where this question of creating a new and a fallback index that replaces the existing one, but on the same time we are trying to create a new market where LIBOR is not even mentioned. Uh, on on that side of the new market, certainly we could go everywhere for. Uh, compounding setting in arrears, as fabio said it's probably cleaner and uh, uh, remove some possibility of manipulation but for the fallback we have to start from what exists today which is the the trades which are referencing libor and we have to replace this one number by something so uh, w- at the same time we have some basis uh, maybe between different asset class on the fallback but we may also have a basis between instruments, legacy instruments uh, that will go through the fallback process and new instruments, uh, new trades, where we have a little bit more flexibility. And there on the new trades, I would agree that uh, the um, uh, compounded setting in arrears, so OIS-like approach will be better.
0: So uh, from from a quant perspective, um, are there any other issues you're worried about in the context of LIBOR reform?
2: Uh, let me be, maybe answer first. Okay. Beyond the LIBOR reforms, all the discussion we have in the market about uh, regulations, new regulation, a uh, new way to 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 see the market, uh, and and so on, and the LIBOR reform, uh, I, I'm worried that uh, we take decision for political or uh, legal aspects and we don't uh, include discussion with quants or in general traders or market uh, participants and we come with solutions which are easy to implement from maybe a legal perspective operational perspective but yeah. create risk management issue valuation issue uh, adjustment again they are good for me if I'm selling my service but they are not good for the market to have the complexity and costing more to to manage the risk which is the role of the banks is to manage or help uh, the user to manage their risk uh, so yeah I'm afraid that uh, we ask the question one step too late which is please price this where the question should be before creating the this can you help us to make the world easier to, to manage.
3: No, I uh, I understand perfectly uh, Mark's point, and I think I, I 100% agree with him. So um, I think a should be definitely involved, like uh, earlier in conversations. I think in the U.S. this this happened uh, because people like Daryl Duffy, who is definitely an expert, uh, expert uh, who is definitely an expert in the field, have been uh, involved, and uh, had a chance to um, to give uh, um, a very important input to the discussion. Um, I'm not sure about uh, you know other um, other regions, but um, um, I agree that in general quants are uh, are called in later and we need to like uh, fix issues I mean uh, and rather than uh, uh, being called to be part of the conversation. And the same time, um you know, as a quant, I think is, uh I'm also happy not to be involved uh, too early because uh, this means that okay uh, there could be like um, um, more issues to address and uh, uh, even more job security for us and uh, and more fun. Um, we know that after the, um, the, the credit crunch, essentially uh, the world changed. and uh, uh, the fun we used to have, like building uh, and, uh, new complex instruments and building new pricing models to accommodate the, the complex structures, um, was over. And um, I think now we have a chance of uh, you know of, of doing something that we used to do in the past, like so building something. that because the, uh, the new benchmark is getting um, uh, more advanced. there will be a to address. We mentioned uh, the possibility of uh, term rates uh, surviving along with uh, LIBOR or so some kind of LIBOR um, uh, proxy or even zombie LIBOR, as uh, somebody calls it. So uh, it would be interesting because there could be a chance really of, um, of seeing a market where um, risky rates or risk-free risk- term rates um, uh, leave... Um, uh, together, and meaning they live with uh, their own um, um, uh, markets implied volatilities and trades, uh, which means that uh, we will definitely need to upgrade our models to comply with a full-blown multi-curve uh, framework um, where LIBOR or LIBOR proxy or anyway like some risky uh, risky rate is modeled jointly with uh, risk-free term rates, uh, either forward-looking or backward-looking. That's a really a major Challenge for quotes, but again, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, most quotes will actually welcome it because uh, this is our job, this is what we have fun doing.
1: Great, well you can be sure that from uh, our side uh, at we will uh, keep giving you the chance to voice your opinion, to show your solutions and uh, uh, present your models in our pages. So. Mark and Fabio, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been uh, very interesting, and I hope uh, everyone from home enjoyed it too. Thank you for listening.